The upcoming presentation is a two-man power trip of wrestling podcast production. to the business of the business podcast i am your co-host jp john Paz from the two-man power trip of wrestling and this is episode number eight of the show and we of course welcome in my co-host mr trump mania himself lobby margolin lobby how you doing today sir hi john i'm doing great thank you and we were kind of just saying off air and, and i know you made a comment on it on social media with this being very close or just passing Martin Luther King day, MLK, just interesting that that's Vince's hero. And it was just kind of funny. We were mentioning that off air, but I saw you put that on Twitter as well. Like that's interesting and kind of um, odd, but okay. If, if you say so, Vince. Yeah, certainly many people's heroes and, and rightly so MLK, but for Vince sort of, as we imagine his, his art or the, the pro wrestling business that sort of has to pass through him before it makes it to television. A lot of the portrayal of um, African-Americans and minorities um, has not been positive um, throughout the years, especially um, in the 80s and 90s, some of it playing off of um, racial stereotypes. Certainly the last few years, it's been an improvement. But if that was um, uh, the person that was the biggest hero to you, I would have imagined that you would have uh, prioritized telling stories that were more inclusive and, and appropriate. Yeah, to me, it's like, okay, I'm sure he's a hero to millions and definitely somebody to look up to, arguably one of the greatest public speakers of all time, such a smart guy, all this other stuff. But it's like funny. It's like I equate him to like a million other people. Don't really equate him to Vince or him being Vince's hero. To me, that was always like a foggy thing. It's like, okay, it's awesome on paper. And it sounds great for Vince to say for like PR reasons, but to me, it just didn't quite kind of equate to what we've seen from Vince. Right. And um, it's kind of interesting because as, as Vince is, I guess, uh, a baby boomer, right. You know, in his seventies mm -hmm. yep. now, you know, he grew up in a time, especially, you know, in the South where there was some um, segregation going on still and um, sort of like lived through um, those uh, trials and tribulations, um, you know, as, as our culture evolved for the better, you know, in that way. And um, you would think that, you know, if that was so important to him and, and seeing all these challenges that people had to overcome that sort of when portraying characters, it would be in a more sensitive or appropriate manner. As far as today's show in the business of the business, let's get right down to the business. First, want to talk about pent up demand, what you kind of meant by this and kind of go into what 1919 teaches us. Right. So um, as many of us saw the announcement of WrestleMania um, going to be in Tampa this year, 
you know, for many of us that, that haven't gotten out much and, and rightly so carefully with, with the COVID situation, maybe for the first time we're starting to think about, hmm, WrestleMania, would it be safe to go? Do I really want to go? What will be my next opportunity to go? And, um, you know, attending a live event um, in April is still questionable, I would think, but July, September, and, and so on, when hopefully COVID is sort of in our rear view mirror or much more contained, you know, most of us haven't been to a pro wrestling show in, in some time. So there is this pent up demand if we're fans to want to go. So the most interesting piece of evidence historically about attendance, especially as it relates to sports, is 1918 to 1919. Of course, 1918 around World War One. Um, there was a pandemic that went on as soldiers came back to the U.S. and and that spread. So in 1918, baseball attendance um, was down. Um, it was just under 3 million people. But by 1919, um, there was 6.5 million people that attended. So NPR um, focused on this and they attributed that to pent-up demand. People not having the opportunity to see something they like and when it was now safe to do so or they were around to do so, they really took advantage of that. So I think that's something really to think about, right? We know the WWE cut way back on their live events team, which we talked about before, but are they going to miss out on this wave of opportunity um, post-pandemic to bring wrestling fans back strongly to live event shows and arenas? That's the thing that I'm always thinking about. It's like, ah, wrestling could be dead. It's not going to be popular. I don't know. I feel like maybe there's so many people that are so interested in wanting to see like live shows and stuff that wrestling could have a, a little bit of a boom. Not saying boom period or anything, but like a little bit of a boom as far as attendance. If they can't go to a show and all of a sudden there's shows to go to, I feel like there's only going to be a few of them. And I feel like a lot of fans are going to want to go. Yeah, I think um, whether it's done on a, a large scale level like a WWE or I don't know if this would be the time for AEW to start touring um, rather than just their uh, weekly shows and, and occasional pay-per-views. But, you know, if you're a mid-sized, um, smaller promotion and you bring in three or four names that you have on the poster that are getting local advertising, people remember those names and they haven't been to a show in a while, I think those shows might really benefit. To me, it's so funny. So many people are saying, well, to me and like in my circle, like can't wait till concerts come back. So I feel like so many people are going to go to concerts. It's going to be crazy. I feel like people are, are dying to see a live show and do that. I also feel like the wrestling fans, me, myself included, are going to want to see a live show. So when they do come back, I think they can maybe up the price of tickets, get such a big demand, make a ton of money off of the live gate again and really kind of, um, not be, you know benefit, but you know you're kind of benefiting off this pandemic thing because of the pent up demand. Yeah, no, it'll be interesting um, when you mention uh, ticket prices, right? Because you know if we start rolling into this before things are completely resolved, and um, of course with WrestleMania we will be. I'd imagine you know they're not going to open up the whole stadium. I was just reading that for the the football games that usually occur, it's about a quarter of the seats, which makes sense in terms of. Uh, distancing. Um, so if you're opening a quarter of the seats and you normally almost sell out or, or you do um, over 40, 50,000 people, 
you know, if you only have 14 or 15,000 seats, how much can you sell those for? Although it's balanced with some people being afraid to go at this point. But if you raise the prices, sort of you set a new level. And then when you sort of roll into live events as a regular thing, you might be able to maintain that high level. So WrestleMania 37 has been moved from the original date of March 28th, now set to be another two-night wrestling affair airing on April 10th and April 11th. So now WrestleMania will be at the Raymond James Stadium in Tampa, Florida. Another two-night affair, limited fans, so we're not sure of the percentage. Have you heard anything else about how many fans are going to be allowed into Mania? No, the the only indicator was really sort of like what's been going on with with football games, and that's our that's our best clue. I think Florida generally doesn't have any restriction or cap on things, but I think you know even from the company, if they're trying to maximize their money, they're going to be careful. They don't want to be known as sort of like a next wave super spreader event or or something like that. So I would imagine it'll be about a, a quarter of people in attendance, or there might be a strategy with potting. If you can balance it, right, you know, it's about 100 days away. Um, if you can balance it with like sort of carefully selling seats and then holding off on seats and then, you know, if we're in a much better position, um, you know, 100 days from now, although we're not exactly supposed to be all the way there, um, maybe you could sell more seats later. Thing is, I feel like they could charge a ton and they would sell out that quarter of, of seats because, like you're saying, with the pent up demand, people I think would die to go. And I think you would get people from all over the place, maybe not from different countries like there used to be, where that was that huge groundswell from England and Ireland and everybody coming over from everywhere in the country. Maybe you won't get that, but I think from all over the states, I think you'll get a ton of people down there and sell it out quickly. Probably could easily do a couple hundred dollars a seat, even for bad seats, and, and definitely get the quote unquote sell out for it yeah i don't know if i'm completely ready to go yet but it's kind of like in the back of my mind mentioning it to my wife but uh probably i'll, I'll wait another <laughs> year or do something else but like even to me you know it appeals so i can imagine it being being broadly uh of interest oh no you're going too bad you're going <laughs> um wrestlemania 38 of course will be at arlington texas at the at&t cowboys stadium april 3rd 2022 you know, that stadium holds 101,000 fans. Well, according to WrestleMania 32, it held 101,000 fans. So you know they're hoping and, and praying that this thing is way, way past us by that date in 2022. So, um, you know, so you can actually sell out and maybe, quote, unquote, have more than 101,000 fans and break some sort of record, which you know that they love to do. Oh, yes, that's definitely on, on everyone's uh, mind. And it was already I mentioned the Dallas News article about sort of um, – gain other great attendance or exceeding that. But um, as uh, Brandon Thurston of, of WrestleNomics had confirmed, he contacted, I think, the the police or, or some local authority in, in the Dallas-Fort Worth area, and they had confirmed that it was 80,000 people that were there. And Vince had said um, on a conference call that, no, it wasn't 101,000 tickets sold. That included the ticket takers and, and everything like that. But it's always fun to see a number like that. Um, uh, you know, it'll be interesting to see if uh, if one day that they want to break the number, all-time number in Pyongyang, North Korea, where sort of not only was it free from what I understand, but people were sort of forced to go of around 190,000 people. But there's been, um, I think in Mexico, um, a boxing match that has had 
in the last few years, 135, 140,000 people, maybe something at a, um, a NASCAR event, which wouldn't be like the best experience to go like as a live event, but just to be there, you probably have to look at it from a screen to be able to see anything, but they like the big number. Oh yeah. They're obsessed with that, that big number thing. And, and, you know, like breaking records and everything. And we did better than the Rolling Stones and, you know, all that stuff going back many, many years. And finally, just want to mention WrestleMania 39 will take place in Atlanta, uh, excuse me, Los Angeles, California, SoFi Stadium, April 22nd, or excuse me, April 2nd, 2023. Uh, easy for me to say, but WrestleMania will go Hollywood again, April 2nd, 2023. Obviously, it was supposed to be this year going Hollywood, and that didn't happen. So what do you think about that? Two years pushing off for the uh, SoFi Stadium debut in Hollywood? Yeah, so I actually saw a, a local article where they quoted some of the local officials and they wished um, Tampa well this year. Um, California has been especially hard hit um, um, since the pandemic started. A million people have been um, diagnosed with coronavirus and they actually uh, expect that there's um, about three times that amount that actually are. So it actually brings about an interesting question is Los Angeles County close to actually um, achieving that point where, you know, you, you pass the point um, where like now everyone has sort of had it. So, you know, things will get better, but obviously they're very bad right now. You know, I I don't want to go too far outside of my area of expertise, but I read a lot. Um, But um, they said 2022 also wasn't going to work because of, you know, um, All-Star Game and and different major events. So 2023 seems to work well for everyone. And, you know, uh, maybe in a year or two years, they'll get back on track and then get the bidding going again because that's uh, become a big part of the process for WWE and their, their revenue streams. So moving on, AEW has now pushed an event from Newark, New Jersey to September. So is this actually true? Is this wishful thinking? Is it actually going to happen? And if you remember correctly, or if I'm remembering correctly, the last time they said they were going to work Newark, New Jersey last year was supposed to be War Games. So I could be wrong on that, but what's the latest on AEW pushing their event from Newark to September? Right. I actually, I went ahead, I grabbed that ticket originally and then sort of um, when coronavirus was out, but they hadn't moved the event or canceled the event, I refunded my ticket. So when they do have it, I won't have a great seat, but I'd like to get out there if I can. So September sounds like a good idea. I think, um, please, you know, fingers and toes crossed, we should be in a position where you can have a major event like that. And I think that's the safest way to go rather than, you know, continuing to um, to hope for the best by by bumping it a little bit. And I actually have the, um, the public schedule, at least in front of me in terms of AW events. Yeah. When is the first live event outside of Jacksonville even viable? Okay. So... You know, there's obviously February 27th, Revolution doesn't have um, a place announced, so that'll be in, in Jacksonville, I assume. Now, the next few events, I think, are very unlikely, so they'd have to be bumped. So Philadelphia and Boston had been moved a number of times. So Philadelphia's on the calendar for April 7th. Um, Boston's on the calendar for April 21st. So those are very unlikely. Then where you're getting uh, a little bit touch and go is Rochester, New York. June 16th, which is, you know, uh, very, you know, not only the the tragedy of of Brody Lee, but, you know, he was supposed to have 
debuted at, uh, at a show um, in Rochester. And, you know, this would have been a wonderful homecoming for him whenever, whenever this event takes place. But it's on the calendar now for June 16th. So that one probably would be bumped. Um, and then you have St. Louis, June 23rd, I think, um, and Houston, June 30th. Then once you get into July, I think you're probably being more realistic. So June, I think, could happen. July, I think, would be likely, hopefully. Um, and that's where you have Milwaukee, July 14th. We talked about Newark. Um, so that's that's the schedule that's been public. Um, all of those events have been uh, bumped a number of times. There was a couple of more events that had been on the calendar. Instead of those being bumped, they were canceled. I don't know if ticket sales hadn't been out yet or just didn't seem viable until they have a better understanding of things moving forward. So for me personally, and, and you may just have, make, have to make a guess or stab at the dark here, but I have Rage Against the Machine tickets August at, at MSG. Is that show going to get bumped again? Because last August it got bumped and canceled and pushed to this August. Am I should I be worried here or what? Um, I would. I. I mean, I'm. I'm hopeful. I think. I think we'll be in a a much better position. I think it will be viable. Um, just as we're taping this, I've been looking at the news. So Johnson and Johnson isn't that far away from their own vaccine. Um, you know, according to Dr. Fauci as well, that, you know, it'll be looked at in, in within weeks, not months. So, you know, that might get approval. So, you know, as we get each vaccine, they're not necessarily one better than the other, but, you know, they're a little bit easier to administer. So the first one has to be certain temperature, um, two doses. The next one had to be two doses, but not as cold a temperature. The Johnson Johnson one doesn't have to be ultra frozen. So that one you could roll out more and hopefully, um, with Biden, it sounds like they'll have the um, sort of uh, the clause where you can put industry into control industry to make your own manufacturing needs, sort of like a war clause, but in this special um, circumstance. So speed up the vaccines, get things going. But, you know, and it's not a laughing matter, but, um, you know, you hear about these variations coming from different countries, which are scarier than the one we have now. Um, so hopefully the vaccines work. Otherwise, you know, we're all in a lot of trouble. Very true. Now, as far as those events for AEW, like when is the time where they would like kind of get pushed back or canceled or whatever? Because I know technically June, you're about five months away or so. Like, is now the time where they wait a month? They wait two months. When do these shows actually get canceled when the public can actually realize like, oh, crap, I, uh, I'm not going to that show anymore. Right. For publicly, it seems like they sort of like wait till they have something set up to sort of tell you about the next date rather than to be determined. But um, behind the scenes, you know, these conversations in, in normal times happen like I would guess like a year in advance if you have the right planning so you could get on the calendar. Now, since things are touch and go, I think it's, um, you know, it's done in a more speedy process, but like, you know, every venue that, that's planning on hosting something within the next six or eight months, they have a lot of people inquiring and, and a lot on the calendar. So you have to plan that now. So I'm sure they're having conversations now or getting on calendars. What are we going to do in September, October, you know, and so on throughout uh, 2021 and into 2022. So have has there been anything as far as like that war games? Have, that, have they ever brought that back up again? How 
it was supposed to be a part of that big Nork show or has anything kind of been said or they're avoiding anything as far as, you know, basically bringing up the promotion of old shows that had been canceled. Right. I don't think that they've been really marketing like the ticket sales of, of shows that have been on the calendar rather than just sort of announcing that, Hey, we have a new date and sort of like this is where you can get tickets, but not like specifically marketing a, uh, a special attraction or, or talent, which makes sense because you don't know when you'll actually be, be ready to go. So it's probably better not to, uh, to start promising anything. Now the, here's an interesting thing. ROH said that they were going to deliver a weekly show. I guess it had been planned back in July. How would ROH deliver a weekly show? And is that true at all that they would be able to do a live weekly show? Yeah. So um, that came out, I think it was an interview on, um, on wrestling Inc with um, one of the executives of the company who handles um, the live, uh, the live events. Um, unfortunately, I'm blanking on the name, although <laughs> I, I usually know it quite well. Uh, but, you know, that's that's what he said, that, um, you know, in July, they were going to start a, have a live weekly show, which is complicated when you are a, a network of a sort of like, you know, you have um, affiliates, so you control some ABC, some NBC, some Mys, some CWs. Then you have digital stations and, and everything like that. So it, it's a complicated network. But um, Sinclair recently premiered a news show called The National Desk, or actually just premiered as we're taping this today. So that gives us some insight in terms of how they roll something like this out. And we can talk about the permutations with wrestling. So it premiered on 68 Sinclair stations, which mainly included the Mys, like, you know, My My Nine sort of thing in, in New York, although they don't own that one, and the CW channels. On Stir, which is their over-the-top uh, uh, digital platform, um, and on their news websites. So, you know, for most, it was, it was at the same time that it premiered. Um, when we think about it for Ring of Honor, it's a little bit more complicated because normally pro wrestling wouldn't run on um, the morning, especially if it's a weekday. Now, they do syndicate their wrestling shows, which many times airs in the early morning or late nights. Um, so you would, I would imagine you would have to have this show if you're having it live to like a large degree or large part of their um, network or their their connections that it would be off of prime time right so let, let's say cw if they're programmed from eight to ten and then usually there's a local news from 10 to 11 do you do like um like a saturday night's main event type of time slot like an 11 30 p.m till uh till 1 a.m do you do something, you know, Sunday mornings? Um, I don't see it being in prime time because you'd only have access to something like um, your um, stadium, which uh, is in 19 million homes in theory. Um, you you could use it, your RSNs, but they can't have sports programming. Otherwise, it'll be bumped all of the time. Um, and then you you wouldn't have access to your local networks because they have their obligations with their the main broadcaster with CW or whomever it is that would broadcast it. So the way I would imagine it making most sense would be, you know, to do a late night program, maybe on um, 
a Saturday night, but you'd also have to think about the East Coast and the West Coast. Um, and then you'd have your RSNs when there wouldn't be a conflict with a local um, sports program. And then you'd have your, your networks that should be yours to program, you know, late nights. So would it actually like really be live? They're saying it's going to be a live show or is it like live to tape? And what's like the real story behind that part? I think if they're saying it's live, it would it would have to be like it would be kind of awkward to do sleight of hand or maybe you do it live some weeks and, and not others. But um, I think that they would do it live. But I think it, it would just be a lot of the markets. It would have to um, be shown at a different time. But, you know, you can watch it on stadium or streaming on stir or something like that. You know, live as, as it happens, if you don't want to wait until uh, it actually airs, if you have a Sinclair market. I'm just curious, like, you know, like with the, the bubble and everything, I know they've been taping a couple episodes per time they're very very safe but just thinking if you do a live weekly show you know you can possibly get more of a chance for some covid uh, positive tests and some other things to pop up i'm just thinking it might be just a little bit more on the danger level i know wb does it and i know they've had some positive tests obviously drew mcintyre recently came out as a positive test but you know what i mean it could be maybe a little bit more risky when you're doing aew style where you're taping two a week it's less risky to me yeah, and they've been risk averse, um, which is a good thing mm -hmm. since the coronavirus started. So Big time, I, think, yeah. I think like, you know, the fact that it was delayed from a planned July meant like they weren't ready for this. And, you know, if they come back to it, it'll be post coronavirus. So also we want to talk a little WWE digital strategy the NHL, WNBA, WB, NBA. I mean, so many different things are kind of experimenting with, I guess, some virtual reality stuff, some AR, some VR, all this kind of stuff. So what's going on with the latest on WB's digital strategy? Yes. Yeah, so uh, Marketing Dive wrote an interesting article sort of like looking at some of, um, I guess, uh, you know, I don't want to call the NHL niche, but it's sort of, you know, its profile has really been diminished compared to the NFL, the NBA and LLB. So I'm not sure if it'd be considered a top, you know, top four anymore. Um, certainly the WNBA is more niche and, and WWE likes to be in the conversation. So I'm focusing on the WWE part. Um, so they said, perhaps no sports organization has turned the lack of in-game fans into an opportunity to debut new technology more than the WWE. After filming its marquee WrestleMania event at Orlando training facility in March in front of no fans instead of the tens of thousands who planned to attend the event at Tampa's stadium, the WWE decided to pivot. The company invested in new technology that turned Orlando's Amway Center into the Thunderdome, virtually bringing 1,000 fans into the arena with a multi-level screen setup. The WWE experimented with AR, virtual reality, and even drone cameras that would not be possible with fans in attendance. Along with adjustments to its events, the WWE changed its content strategy across three areas it plays in, linear and pay TV via Fox and NBCU, AVOD on YouTube, where it's the fifth most viewed channel, and it's over-the-top WWE Network. 
It increased the content it created for Fox and NBC, which needed to fill its airtime for sports that weren't airing. A change to its YouTube strategy, adding longer form clips and more historical content, led it to a 70% viewership jump on the platform. Similarly, more documentary content yielded a 55% increase in viewership on the network. This pandemic just sped up the transition to streaming and consumption behaviors really changing and encouraged us and showed us the necessity really to continue reaching our fans on all of those platforms because that's where we are, said Stephanie McMahon. You have to be able to adjust on the fly in order to survive in business in general, but in times like these, that flexibility is really critical. So they have definitely experimented with a lot of different things. So they're saying basically like if they had fans, they wouldn't necessarily be able to do some of that stuff because I feel like they would have been able to do some of that stuff anyway. I think with the Thunderdome, it seemed like um, some of the pyrotechnics and the drones flying around, you know, it wouldn't have been safe or you'd have to have different logistics with fans in attendance. Hopefully you can carry some of this over um, safely, but um but they experimented a bit with, with the Thunderdome aspect, certainly. Definitely more documentary content has been increased, right? I mean, you've seen that coming up and even more so going to be coming up on WB Network. Yeah, it looks like fun, fun profiles. Unfortunately, you know, uh, although they try and get away from it and, you know, it, it's quiet until another tragedy happens. You know, a lot of the performers have, have passed away young and uh, sometimes it feels like, the dark side of the ring rather than sort of celebrating the history of wrestlers. But, um, you know, those are, tend to be very well produced and uh, entertaining uh, documentaries. For sure. What do you think that, well, like what's next for them digital strategy wise? Cause I just saw they've been using the NFL on Fox 8k cameras and stuff. Well, like, have you heard anything? What's next? Like, what are they going to do next as far as their, digital strategy, but also pumping up the production? No, that's a great question. I think what a good thing about wrestling and actually kind of driven by wrestling fans as well is that technology is is at the forefront. You know, they're not afraid to experiment with things. So the virtual reality experience seems like something that people can immerse themselves in more as that sort of becomes um, more in use. And, um, you know, sort of like as a fan, you could feel like you're almost in the ring. So um, it's always an interesting thing to watch, you know, with the company. Do you think that, with all this other stuff that there will be a lot of copycat stuff like Thunderdome kind of was, I guess, born because of what they saw from the NBA and we're mentioning like some of the stuff NHL is doing and the WNBA and those, you think that a lot of stuff is almost, they're waiting for somebody else to do it, see if it works and then just copy it. I think they're, they're open to the idea. They're not, afraid necessarily to try things what's good is that having something like an nxt that um you know if, if there's an interesting idea and you try it there first to see how it goes be, before it's like on a, on a wider platform um you know allows you to experiment so you know they could take something from you know another sports league or you know they can try it themselves and if it works it works and if it doesn't you know it doesn't before you have to worry about you know how wrestlemania looks or raw or smackdown which are the bigger rights deals 
I feel like a lot of the times it is almost monkey see, monkey do. Like, oh, they did this, it didn't work. Oh, they did this, we like that, that works. Or they see something, especially WWE, they see something, they can make it better. I know um, they were the ones that really made that XFL camera, which was obviously WWE production. That camera now the NFL uses, that kind of like that sky cam that goes over the uh, the huddles and it goes over the field and stuff. Like, that's kind of their idea. So it's one of those things that sometimes they see an idea, they'll create it and somebody else steal it. Sometimes I notice they'll see somebody else's idea, they'll just take it, steal it, and almost enhance it. That's uh, kind of been the the MO a little bit of them. They're very good at either make, making their own idea or just making someone else's idea even better. Yeah, and I think it's most interesting to fans when you're drawing from outside of the pro wrestling um, business. Um, it's kind of a little dull, like if if it would be that um, AEW and WWE would have the same type of arena setups or use the same type of pyrotechnics or camera angles when you have unique aspects, it sort of either gives you a choice or it allows you when you're watching one product to another to feel like you're watching something different. So moving on to the next topic at hand, Les Asper, who is that? What is he tweeting about and why? Sure. So um, Len Asper, he is the the CEO, of course, of, um, uh, sorry, I'm, I'm blanking at the moment, but he runs um, uh, the uh, Impact Wrestling, of course, the CEO of, of Anthem. Uh, I had oh, I'm the, sorry. Uh, it's, it's Len, a.k.a. Leonard. I said less. I'm sorry. Leonard. Less, uh, not less. Leonard. So Len Asper. I'm sorry. Yes. So Len Asper, sorry, I was, I was imagining the owl before I could think of the Anthem name. But of course, and we've talked about <laughs> sort of that, that that company has been acquired, had been acquired even before they purchased uh, Impact. So sometimes we think about it, the Asper family that sort of like Len is making these decisions off the cuff, but he actually is under a larger corporate structure. But what's interesting that I've noticed is that he had been very quiet on Twitter for a while and hadn't mentioned much about wrestling and then once and then he would tweet once in a while now he's more active on there but he sort of does it in like a little bit of an awkward way it might be a generational thing but um like i'll just read a couple of his tweets well the stage is set for hard to kill which could be a record setting ppv some people got what they deserve tonight on impact wrestling but as my winnipeg legends once said you ain't seen nothing yet impact on access wrestle week be there and then he responded to someone else. Yes, the invisible hand works in mysterious ways. What a murky world with Impact Wrestling and AEW getting into the same ring. So he's kind of, you know, it seems like uh, it's more of on his radar to see what's going on recently, especially as the company is uh, interacting more with, with AEW and on the radar of fans. But it's sort of um, tweeting in a different way than, than you would imagine. Um, you know, uh, a Vince McMahon or a Tony Khan or even Court Bauer. It's sort of like these uh, stream of thought, like random check-ins. So it just might be a generational thing, but I, I find it interesting because you know, it gives you some insight into, uh, uh, you know, the owner or the executive who oversees another national wrestling brand. He almost sounds like he thinks it's real for a second. You know what I mean? So. I know, I guess he's trying to keep kayfabe, but it's like, is that serious or what on some of these tweets? Yeah, and then sometimes he'll be like, um, 
you know, you wrestling fans think that uh, access is only for impact, but there's great concerts on here too. So sort of like, kind of like (laughs) diminishing the wrestling and kind of talking up some of the other things that they do, which a lot of corporations do, especially when they benefit from wrestling. They don't want to be known as only for wrestling. I feel like Vince doesn't really tweet that much. And if he does, it's not going to be like, trying to i don't know entice people in a weird way right it sounds generational but i feel like vince is controlled in that aspect where he's not going to uh tweet stuff like that although he did have that uh, great tweet you know happy birthday shane mcmahon and then when it's stephanie's birthday happy birthday to the greatest princess of all time in the history of the business i love this girl stephanie McMahon. so sometimes vince is way off on his tweets too so let's not like uh, let him get away scot-free yeah, um, people always enjoy, and it was recently Shane McMahon's birthday. People enjoy, like, if he wishes Shane a happy birthday at all, and uh, compare <laughs> it to like, compare it to like the like the glowing remarks for Triple H or for for Stephanie. So we don't really know what's going on with the family dynamics, but it's always like a, a curious thing to keep an eye on. Sometimes I feel like it's just a. Um, it's just like a happy birthday uh, app <laughs> that there's not really a person behind it. And they just have the schedule of the people they want to wish happy birthday to. And Vince sends it out. Sometimes I wonder if that's like a rib on Shane or something where Vince gloats about other people. And once it gets to Shane, oh, happy birthday, kid. Like, I wonder if maybe, just maybe it's, it's a rib, but I don't know. It's it's pretty funny that he, he gets no love from uh, from his dad. Yeah, it's kind of an awkward thing. And, and as we talked about in our Trump Mania podcast, you know, when um, when Vince Sr. would interact with Vince Jr., especially before he owned the company, he would always be discouraging him, like, get a government job or don't come into the pro wrestling business. It's You know, it's not a good idea. Yep. Very, very true. Now, as far as the next topic at hand, New Japan Pro Wrestling. What is going on with them? I know the complexity of the U.S. TV market right now might be getting them down, but what is going on? Because I had a buddy of mine. He didn't you know. He doesn't know any more than maybe I know. Maybe you know more, obviously. But he was just kind of saying, "Hey, you know, they were uh, purple in some of their advertising. I wonder if it's Roku." And I'm like, "Yeah, but that's not really U.S. TV, technically speaking, unless it's New Japan World." And they're kind of going in and out of kind of saying it is. But then he goes, "What about HBO Max?" I'm like, "Yeah, that is true. They're purple." But I wonder if the purple in the advertising saying they're coming into the U.S. and U.K. was just kind of by coincidence. So, what do you know? And I may be streaming way off topic here, but what do you know about the complexity of the U.S. market of TV for New Japan Pro Wrestling? Right. So in terms of the TV, uh, you know, I was just doing and I, I labeled it <laughs> rumoring, right, um, with, with mm-hmm. HBO Max. But I, I was it was curious because um, one of my contacts in the industry who had actually known about the um, TNT AW deal like months and months before it was like announced um, had mentioned, like I said, well, where do you think New Japan will wind up? And he didn't have any insider knowledge on it, but he felt HBO Max. And I was like, yeah, that's that's a really good, that would be a really good fit the way I see it. Like, because New Japan is a niche product that I feel people are willing to pay for. Um, and it's it, it really, I felt, drove like access um, subscriptions and, and viewership. So like of any of the leagues now that you could sort of, charge a premium for on on a larger level that are more free agents or had been 
like I could see New Japan on there and then like just on, you know, one of the message boards, somebody was was guessing HBO Max. So that was sort of like reinforced it for me. But then I got a message from somebody else that that I trust a lot. And he was like, he didn't think it was a good fit at all. So it made me question that. But in the Wrestling Observer, there was um, something about it being in 10 days. So um, I guess the Observer comes out on Thursday or Friday. So I'm looking at my calendar here. So maybe by the 25th or 26th, we'll know. And if it's by the 25th, um, which we usually record on Mondays, we can talk about whatever platform it's on and um, uh, you know the likelihood of success there. So, but um, sort of when I was thinking about something that kind of shows New Japan is still struggling a little bit to learn the market. So New Japan um, has a uh, a smartphone game that's coming out. So normally with American you know sweepstakes contests, right? You say like and share or something, right? Like like this one or two things on Twitter, on Facebook, and share it, and then you're entered in this contest. So New Japan NJPWSS underscore global, which I think is their the game's Twitter. So it's a little bit removed from New Japan, but like they had to do like a tiny posting, which is like two two screenshots of all the rules. So it's like you feel like you have to go to law school to figure out how um, how to enter this contest and like all the rules that are stipulated. So like it just showed to me that like to engage people in a contest, like and share, right? But like here they have like a thousand words that you have to figure out. And like people, unless you're the most hardcore interested fan in this game or in figuring out this contest, you're probably just going to like move on from it. With New Japan, I was also thinking, and I know you've mentioned this before, Showtime wouldn't be bad either as far as a, a home because I think people would be interested and would pay for it. Yeah, that's um, that's sort of my, like, that's my guess on things, like if they're landing a U.S. deal. Um, also in the Observer, I think, um, was that... Actually, Access was kind of like, hey, I know we, we, we got rid of you, but, you know, do you want to come back here? And they said no, that they had already signed a deal or they were close to something. So whatever it is, either it's better exposure than Access or, you know, it's better money. So there's something more advantageous to them. Although I know like something with the New Japan executives, or at least we've seen outwardly, it seems like they could get offended and like hold a grudge, right? There was that mm-hmm. Jeff Jarrett <laughs> Jeff Jarrett thing where they didn't want to work with, with Impact and Jarrett hadn't been there in years. So maybe there's a little bit of that. So we're very curious. Hopefully there is a deal to announce soon and, and we'll be watching closely. I feel like with New Japan, they are definitely wanted you know what i mean it's not one of those things where sure there might be the the market might be hard to get and stuff but i feel like they're wanted by several different places right i mean they're definitely something where it's not like i don't know like some random promotion where it's like ah, it's gonna be a tough sell like they're not necessarily a tough sell i feel like pro wrestling is always sort of like unique to television in that it has a lot of value in terms of bringing viewers but it's like what does the executive think of wrestling and the ability to make money with, with advertisers and the, the type of viewers that you bring? So even at its hottest points, right? Like, you know, end of the attitude era, you had WCW and 
ECW doing incredible ratings, you know, for that time, you know, uh, for each their own in their own way, but like they struggled to find television deals and sort of like died out. So like, it's, it's always, it's always tricky with, with TV executives and, um, and pro wrestling, even if they are fans themselves of the product. True. As far as some premium cable network ratings, what do you got going on? What's the story here, Lavi? Yes. So um, I started following somebody actually very interesting on LinkedIn, Gavin Bridge of um, Variety, who uh, focuses on the Variety Intelligence Platform as a senior media analyst. And he's like, he's pumping out these uh, these uh, graphs, you know, like, like nobody's business, which is awesome. So um, one of the ones that he recently put out was U.S. primetime total viewership for premium cable networks. So in his definition of that, HBO, Showtime, Stars, Stars Encore, and Cinemax. So talking about Showtime, this helps to give us um, better perspective. Um, and this is data for the average annual primetime viewership among a total audience, two or older. Hopefully no two-year-olds are watching any of these channels, except when they show Sesame Street on HBO. Uh, <laughs> for live, recorded, and on-demand viewing up to seven days after the content aired. So that's sort of like a bigger net than usually we get um, with uh, things like cable ratings, right? We usually get it the next day and then they look at P2 two days after. So here they're looking at it P7. Um, so what is the average um, for primetime viewership? So HBO is 387,000. For Showtime, 147,000. Stars, 122. Stars Encore, 72. I didn't know it became Stars Encore until just talking about it now and Cinemax 40,000. So the number that, you know, really interests me for our purposes is the Showtime 147,000. So yes, although it might be in less homes now than an access, um, it's actually averaging, um, you know, much better ratings. So, and that's a rating comparable to what Access's best show um, of course, Impact or highest rated show Impact does, which is about that 150,000 number. Interesting. The premium cable networks are really kind of honing in on on a lot of stuff now. We'll, we'll, we'll see what happens, I guess. Yeah, so, um, so hopefully we could do that deep dive into Showtime <laughs> or uh, whomever New Japan lands with. We also have uh, MLW kind of... Uh, floating out there um, that they're talking to different networks. The Observer even had a, uh, a proposed name for their for the next program. So, you know, hopefully there's something good um, cooking there as well that we can talk more about when it comes out. Now, was that supposed to be in, in addition to MLW Fusion on the network and YouTube and stuff, or is that going to be the main show? Yeah, so that's why they're saying that would be in addition to, depending on the platform and the money and, and so on. I'm sure that um, it could become the main show, and whereas Fusion would be sort of like uh, less spotlighted, or maybe you'd have the money to bring in more talents and sort of maintain Fusion's good momentum, but build it up more. You know, as we talked about with BN Sports, you know, it's lost a lot of distribution. It's only in about 16 million homes, but court 
um, regularly tweets about um, that uh, last year was, was the best rains it had done. And I think uh, last week or the week before, something like that, it was its third highest rated show. So they seem to be doing very well um, with a limited penetration. But I think, A, you know, if it's if it has less um, visibility, you know, certainly the money would help a lot. But I think one of the goals would be to get larger penetration on television. So if something is announced, I would imagine it would be a larger uh, network or as court had said, uh, tier one. That is very, very interesting because I wonder if MLW could start creeping up the ranks. You know what I mean? If they could start climbing because you know we always talk about even with matt jones when he was on from ovw he was kind of listening to who's one who's two and stuff i wonder if mlw they get on a better network they you know even if they're losing some of their stars i wonder if they can somehow climb up yeah i think in terms of like especially before impact sort of connected with aw um in terms of buzz pre-covid like they were doing you know they have a lot less shows um but uh, you know they were doing well you know, at the gates, especially when they traveled to Dallas um, and, and Chicago. And, you know, there was people talk about it a lot on Twitter. Um, and there was something there, whereas Impact and um, ROH had become cold products. So although their distribution, at least traditionally, might be uh, less so, um, you know, they were certainly within like knocking distance of being sort of like that um, third sort of like within talking about like as a third brand in the U.S., but sort of murky with with all of those different uh, brands having different strengths and and, uh, minuses as well. Something to look out for, because if they could do that, they could move up the ranks and maybe they can resign some of those guys or bring in some other, you know, guys, maybe you know, you lose a Harry Smith, but you bring in somebody who's a Brian Pillman jr. But you pick on some, you pick up somebody else. I know they just added Mil Muertes, who was obviously very well known from all around the globe. Ricky Banderas. I know he was, he was in TNA. He was a big star in Mexico. Um, El Macias, obviously a huge star in Mexico, but he's Mil Muertes from Lucha Underground in MLW. So that was kind of a, a cool little twist on it. Yeah. The Lucha Underground thing connection is, is kind of fun. Um, you know, I don't know how the deal was worked out, but I know Cord had had worked with AAA before, and um, you know he's um, I follow Cord and um, and Dorian Roldan, who we'll talk about in a moment on LinkedIn, and sort of Cord regularly congratulates him on, on things. So it seems like there's there's a good relationship there. But as we talked about, Lucha Underground wasn't only owned by by AAA, so to work out the deal where you have the rights to some of their content uh especially in terms of the characters is interesting now um, i'm just thinking about this as i'm talking could they acquire the rights to the old programs and sort of you know the way they were able to take the old um mlw content and present it in you know in its original format or, or probably clean it up a little bit um and and roll that out on one of their networks would be interesting i mean the lucha underground content has been available for a while um i think we've talked about how i i dvr'd the old ones because i i didn't catch it on its first run uh, but that network uh no longer exists and there's this content which is well produced and was expensive to produce um you know could mlw acquire that um well if they're tying into the past storylines that might make a lot of sense 
that would be pretty cool and use those lucha underground guys and maybe not the, the guys per se but use the footage of the guys and 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 play the old shows and stuff i think that uh, it could get a new life and it was very popular amongst the fans who actually saw it so um that would definitely be a great idea and you know court keep up those good relationships speaking of dorian roldan what is going on with him so there was um, recently an interesting article in Forbes, Mexico, um, focusing on different um, sports personalities, especially during the pandemic that, you know, were doing well or doing interesting things. So um, it was a, a brief little write-up and it went through Google Translate. So, you know, um, anyone that's reading it in its original form, let me know, you know how things were messed up. But just to give you a little bit of an idea of, of how Dorian is, is perceived in Mexico from a, uh, a mainstream public and, and how AAA is perceived, it just goes to speak of that well. So one of the images that few remember of Dorian Roldan, General Director of Lucha Libre AAA, is when in 2012, he asked La Parca for clemency so that he would not hit him above the ring during a company function in Veracruz. That day, he was part of the show that little by little he has been building and that over the years became the most important wrestling company in Latin America, which is a really interesting thing to say. This is my edit um, because you have CMLL, which had often been considered sort of like the biggest wrestling company in Mexico. Going back to the content, years ago, AAA stopped being a sports company to become, as he puts it, an entertainment company. The idea began in 2013 when they hired New York firm Starlight Runners. So, love you again. Um, I went and I, I followed Starlight Runners on LinkedIn and their CEO, and they do really interesting things of taking brands like Ultraman from Japan and understanding how they can work best in the U.S. market back to content, which helped them rebuild the brand and build properties that went beyond ring, sometimes hex activity, right? Because it could be a hexagon. Today, this is one of the sports brands with the most views on YouTube in Mexico. Also, he bet on Twitch when the major sports leagues didn't even know what the matter was about. At all times, the fight is on the move. Dorian Rodin feeds among his various plans to continue detonating his digital business in Mexican sports. What that means, detonating, I'm not sure. That will, in fact, be one of his premises during 2021. Currently, Lucha Libre AAA works with Facebook and YouTube. Last year, it broadcasts its events through these channels. Another of its important assets is the Intellectual Property Registry. According to data from the Mexican Institute of Industry, Industrial Property, IMPI, it has armored fighters to its credits until 2027. I'm not sure what that part means either. So it seems like just to me that Dorian is always kind of ahead of the curve in a lot of things. He definitely wants to enhance the business any way possible, hiring New York big time firms to kind of help him further the promotion along. seems like he's kind of um, just one of those guys that likes to spread his wings. Yeah, and I think um, the best testament for Lucha Libre AAA as a company is to have a deal with with Marvel, um, right? It's, it's part of the Disney Corporation, and Marvel, of course, stands on its own. It's a huge brand um, that, that lends a lot of legitimacy and says a lot, if not worldwide, but certainly to the Mexican or Latin American market. Oh, to me, it's like, wow. Like, you know, you just kind of... Uh not really surprised, but I guess somewhat surprised by, and just like, all right, you know, this is a big time promotion here. If they got that kind of deal, you know, these guys are, are for real. Yeah. I think, you know, when, when you look at it worldwide, you sort of have to put AAA among certainly the top 10, maybe the top 
five to seven companies that are that are major players on the on a worldwide scene. You know, with America, there's always been that struggle of of breaking in. They've had some really good success in the '90s. Um, uh, in terms of some live events. And then, you know, there's always been hints of breaking through and then it seemed like it would be Lucha Underground, but it wasn't really AAA. So there's always been that challenge. So sort of like, it's always been thought of a little bit diminished in the US market, but sort of like thinking about it from a worldwide perspective or within its own market, it's certainly a major, major player. As far as the zone, what is going on with them? I mean, we felt like they were really big for a while. Then they kind of tapered off. They were kind of um, seemed like bleeding money almost, you know, signing Canelo, signing this person. Signing that. I mean, they had to deal with MLW. It just seemed like, oh, my God, they're really growing. But how did they do? How's the business going? And I guess now they have a new leader. Right. So it's still moving along, you know, from an outsider, it did seem like they have lost a lot of money and um, they uh, let go of some of the, um, what I would imagine would be the most expensive properties, some of the MLB type content um, that they had some rights to, um, to focus more on fight sports and, and the niche. I was just looking at it today. Like they have things like, like darts, um, maybe there's a big darts community. Um, but um, Shay Segev left a big executive position with um, uh, FTSE 100 Grant Gambling Group, who hadn't been there very long, to join um, DAZN. Uh, it's very hard for me to resist not saying DAZN. Uh, mm-hmm. As a co-chief executive officer. And then also James Rushton was elevated to co-CEO. So um, from what I've read, I think it's the sixth richest person in London that that is sort of behind this company, and they've raised a lot, a lot of capital, which they've gone through a lot, you know, as well. So from from one sense, it it doesn't exactly make sense. They're sort of like pushing so much to get market share, which which they've struggled with, and they've launched in so many countries. Like here in America, it's kind of expensive in London. And England too, but then other places it's a dollar ninety nine or, or the equivalent. So each market specific, but sort of like for the wrestling business, it just makes me curious. Like they have MLW there. Um, when it originally came out with MLW, it seemed like they'd be doing some more exclusive stuff. Obviously, that's been more limited with what they can do um, during coronavirus. So maybe they'll be multiple launches or products, you know, post-coronavirus when you could do special programming. But when I went to their page now and there's a little bit pro wrestling section, it's just MLW. It's just the last two shows, um, which you can get, you know, in other places like YouTube now. So I'm wondering, you know, with these executives, if they'll look at things and say, hey, you know, pro wrestling is, is a viable place to invest more in um, and, and look more towards this industry and, look to do more with MLW, um, which I would I would tip more to, or to say like, okay, we're going to focus on something else. Whenever you have major executive changes, you know, it leads to change. So I'm curious how that will affect uh, pro wrestling when the zone has really focused mostly on boxing as, as their, you know, highest profile events and, and some MMA too. Yeah, I feel like they didn't even scratch the service with MLW. They were kind of putting out whatever MLW already had out there. It was kind of just a strange partnership to me. Like, wow, you could maybe do something else with them or do some 
extra footage, extra coverage, extra something, but they really weren't utilizing MLW and pro wrestling at all. Yeah, so you know it might be weird timing, so it's something to look at certainly over the next year once once the events could happen if there's some uh, event guarantees or something, which I have no idea, but like to see what they want to do with them. Because when it came out, it was talked about like this is a game changer, I'm assuming financially. So, you know, if there is a fair amount of money changing hands that, you know, there'd be expectations as well. So that'll be something uh, to watch out for. And they're saying that Bellator will still be on the zone, but I haven't really seen too much of that lately either. So we'll be interesting to see what's going on with the zone under this new leadership. Yeah. I think like, you know, it's hard to keep raising capital if you don't show too much results. So like probably within the next two years, either they'll have established themselves well as a thing or kind of go away. So kind of the last topic we want to touch on today, Lucha Patron airs on MyTV53. What is it and what is MyTV? Yes. Yeah, so um, Lucha Patron, or um, maybe it's pronounced a different way, but like, um, so I, I have hundreds of Google alerts set up and uh, what what should come across like Juventud Guerrero, I open it up and they're like, hey, here's this Lucha Libre promotion. Like, okay, um, so my TV, so um, when there was like UPN and, and CW, um, you know, they would each have their own affiliates. And then suddenly it became CW. So there was a number of strong, mostly some stronger networks, but notably you, um, Channel 9, My 9 in New York, um, the biggest market, um, but there is, you wouldn't call my TV sort of like a national platform because they don't have all of the network, all of the stations needed, but they're sort of like a semi-national platform. So then there's all these local affiliates around. So in, uh, in one part of California, there's a my TV 53, um, that, this program will air. Well, what was notable about it to me to mention was that they're sort of like coming out of the gate with um, multiple um, stations in hand, which I dabble a little bit um, in uh, helping uh, a wrestling company to sort of like uh, expand their reach, um, which we can talk about at a different time. But, um, you know, it's not easy to get too far, even on sort of like uh, lower profile stations. So I just wanted to mention uh that they're on four stations, MyTV53 in California, KSCWDT in Kansas City, so that's a digital channel, lower profile, WGMCW in Illinois, and Telemundo23 in Monterey. Interesting. And Hooventude, Hoover Juice is, is going to be a part of it. Yes, the juice is loose. Nice. You always hear uh, a lot of crazy stuff about the juice as far as coming from the Conan camp, but uh, I was always a big fan. I don't know about you. Yeah, that was like, that was an awesome era. Um, you know, I mean, starting with, with AAA and then ECW and WCW and so on, where you had like Hooventude and Psychosis and Rey Mysterio and so on. All right, let's hit the plugs. You can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Two Man Power Trip. Check out my website, tmptempire.com. Lavi, what about you? 
So um, follow me on Twitter, LaviMarg, L-A-V-I-E-M-A-R-G. Um, check out my website, lioncubjobsearch.com. I just posted a review and critique of the Buddy Rogers um, biography that came out. Um, you can also check out Trump Mania 2020 Election Special Edition on Amazon. And if you need help with your career, job search, and interviewing, uh, the website that I mentioned, and also Amazon, you can check out some of my career books. Now, here's the toughest question of the week, and you know it's coming, Lavi. What do you got on tap for us next week? I'm ready. So I'm hopeful that we'll have the New Japan deal to talk about. I think it would probably be a little bit early to talk about an MLW deal, but hopefully we can dive deeply into that. But if not, you know, each week brings opportunity, and these 10 topics were developed over the last week unexpectedly. So happy to share what's the latest, what's going on. Lavi, a great work as always. Love, uh, you know, all your research and everything you're bringing to the show because, man, you you know some of these stories. And I'm just like, oh, man, now I got to I got to uh, check and see what's going on. I mean, I, I think like I'm on the cusp of things and you are breaking all these other stories down. So that's great. Uh, loving the show each and every week right here. It's always so, a pleasure. Yes. So thank you, Lavi. And thank you, everybody, uh, for listening. And we'll see you uh, right back here next week on the business of the business podcast. See you next week, folks. This has been a John Paz Power Trip production in conjunction with the Two Man Power Trip of Wrestling. You can follow us on Instagram and Twitter at Two Man Power Trip. You can check us out on Facebook. You can subscribe on YouTube. You can go to patreon.com slash TMPT Empire to become a patron. And also check out the website tmptempire.com and buy a shirt at prowrestlingtees.com. Two Man Power Trip, where the power lies brother.